You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. Paul had been given a brilliant mind. He was an expert in the law of Moses. He was a trained rabbi who was determined to make a name for himself. Paul knew the Torah like the back of his hand. He was a Pharisee committed to keeping all the minutiae of the law. This included, just to get started, 613 commandments of the written laws. He knew them like the back of his hand. Yet on the Damascus Road, all of his learning came crashing down, shattered by the revelation of Jesus Christ. As Christians, when life is going well, it's easy to rest on our laurels and completely forget about God. We get hyper-focused on what we're doing for ourselves and push God away. In today's message, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that you need to put God in the center of everything. No matter how secure or self-assured you feel in what you're doing, you'll never get to where you want to be without God. Listen to His calling for your life and let His light shine in every part of your life. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Galatians chapter 2 as he begins his message, Paul's Powerful Testimony. Last time we looked at the first nine verses of Paul's first letter written to the Galatians, and we saw that the young Galatian church had been infiltrated by false teachers who taught that the gospel of God's grace must also be mixed with Old Testament ritual. They were taking the old and trying to mix it with the new and really insisting that you mix it with the new. And nothing angered Paul with righteous anger more than that. Because Paul was all grace, by faith, with no works, period. That's it. So Paul's swan song is, by grace, you are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Nothing we could do or ever do would have saved our souls. Amazing grace. Crazy grace. Inexplicable grace. Grace is undeserved favor. Grace means God decided to love you and decided to deliver you. Now, those false teachers were called Judaizers because they were teaching Judaism, Old Testament Judaism, mixing it with New Testament Christianity. Now, Paul opened the Galatian letter with a defense of his apostleship because these Judaizers had attacked who he was. They had attacked his reputation, attacked his calling, attacked his credentials, and done their best to undermine him to this new found newborn Galatian church. And so he didn't like to do it. He didn't like to talk about himself, but he defended his apostleship. And so he went on to express amazement that the Galatians who had started out so well had so soon been turned away from the truth to the point that he said, who has bewitched you? What spell have you fallen under that you have departed from the pure doctrine of grace and mixed it with works. What has happened to you? He's stunned that it happened so quickly that they turned away so easily. These false teachers were so successful. It just blew his mind. Well, next, Paul again defends his apostleship and he answers some of the Judaizers. Now, Paul writes, for do I now persuade men or do I persuade God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. 
If you're a man pleaser, you're never going to please God. It's not going to happen. If you're worried about what people think more than you're worried about what he thinks, you're not going to take a stand for him and you're not going to really amount to much in terms of being influential for Jesus Christ. Now, God doesn't call us to be intentionally obnoxious, but he does call us to take a stand for him no matter what men think. And so Paul says, if, if I was a man pleaser, I wouldn't be able to be a bond servant of Christ. I had to make up my mind that I wasn't going to be a man pleaser. The fear of man brings a snare every time. So you can't be afraid of what people think. The Message Bible puts it this way, quote, do you think that I speak this strongly in order to manipulate crowds or to curry favor with God or to get popular applause? If my goal was popularity, I wouldn't bother being Christ's slave. If you've been here a while, you heard me preach a message that I called an audience of one. And I said, and I, I live this way, I try to live this way. And I'm not going to tell you, I would, I'll be lying if I didn't tell you. There are times that I'll catch myself being concerned about what people think about something. And I have to remind myself, what are you thinking? Forget about it. You don't have to worry about what people think. Because all Christians perform for an audience of one. We do not live for the applause of men. We live for the applause of one. And if you have the applause of the one, Jesus Christ, over your life, you're blessed. You're blessed. And, and every believer has got to make up his or her mind of which of those you're going to be. Are you going to be a man pleaser? Or are you going to be a God pleaser? Are you going to be primarily concerned about what he thinks of you or what people think of you. I personally believe that a lot of the church today is completely copping out and throwing the Bible away because they're so concerned about what the culture thinks. So they're agreeing with all this nonsense like same-sex marriage and, and uh, this, this crazy stuff that 40 years ago you'd have been laughed out of the country. But they're giving into it, caving into it, because they're so afraid that a depraved world is going to criticize them. Jesus was never that way. Jesus took the slings and the arrows of the criticisms of men in stride. So I would hope, and I guarantee you, our mindset at Turning Point is we're not going to care what the culture thinks. Because listen, they need somebody to be truthful with them. And so we're going to be truthful in love, and some of them will be saved because of it. But if we're walking around on glass because we're afraid of what people think, nobody's going to be saved, and there's going to be no testimony for Jesus. So Paul said, I'm not a man pleaser. I'm Christ's slave. He makes it clear he's not about pleasing men. If that were his goal, he couldn't please God. Paul knew that popularity with men and preaching the gospel do not go hand in hand. The faithful preacher often has to take a stand against the world's ways. And it doesn't make him popular, I can assure you. He must take an unpopular stand against drugs, abortion, evolution, homosexuality, and further and so forth and so on. All these things the culture is all messed up in. Paul knew this and he chose to please God instead. I was told, I said something about evolution one Sunday just a little while back. And a, and a woman got him stomped out and sent a nasty email that how could I be so stupid to talk against evolution? And I thought, well, God bless her. But the more I look at it, completely logically and intellectually, just forget the whole religion aspect. 
evolution makes a monkey out of you. It doesn't make sense. It's totally illogical and profoundly moronic and stupid. But go out there and say that and see how much people love you. So you have to make up your mind, am I going to have the smile of God or am I going to have the smile of people? If you have the smile of people, I assure you, you don't have the smile of God. All right? Now, he next launches again into the facts behind his powerful testimony. Here goes Paul's testimony, verses 11 and 12 of chapter 1. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it from men. But it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. The gospel I'm preaching, he tells them. Men didn't tell me about it. I had a revelation of Jesus Christ, and we know what happened to him. Now, first he explains how he received the message he preached with such passion, such conviction. His message was not according to man. He had not received it from man, nor was taught it by man. Well, then where did it come from? It came from the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, you remember how he got saved. His was not a normal salvation. On his way on the road to Damascus with official permission to arrest and imprison those that he called of the way, something happened to him. He says, as I journeyed and came near Damascus at around noontime, so this is when the sun was at its brightest, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me brighter than the sun. Because when you can see a light in light, that light is really bright. And so heaven's light made the noonday sun pale. It shone around him. Imagine that. Now, he wasn't on a horse. I always hear preachers say, ah, and he fell off his horse. He wasn't on a horse. He was walking. There's no horse in this story. I don't know where they got this. Well, he fell off his horse and his other, no, he was walking. And this light shone around him. And then there was a voice. Wow, what a voice. Saul, Saul. Now, imagine Jesse, Jesse. Ed, Ed. Can you imagine walking along and a light shines around you and all of a sudden, Sherry, Sherry. <gasps> and then look what the voice said. Why are you persecuting me? Inasmuch you've done it to at least one of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. Jesus made it personal. He said, why are you persecuting me? And so Saul answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Oh, wow. And those who were with me indeed saw the light, and they were afraid but they didn't hear the voice of him who spoke to me. They saw the light. They didn't hear the voice because the voice was personal, individual, aimed straight at Saul. So I said, now notice already he's been converted. Already he's saved. How do you know that? What shall I do, Lord? No man says Jesus is Lord, but by the Spirit. 
So already he's, he knows who he's talking to. And believe me, on the inside of him, it is one major freak out. Because he says, what shall I do, Lord? But inside of him, this years and years and years of theological training are crashing to the ground. And the Lord said to me, get up, go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And when the light went away, he was completely blind. And they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. And he went into a house on a street called Straight, Straight Street. That's no coincidence, I'm convinced. He could have taken him to any other street, crooked street, short street, long street. He took him to straight street. And every one of you that got saved, you on straight street now. That's the narrow way that leads to life. So took him to straight street in the house of a, uh, an individual. And God spoke to Ananias uh, and said to him, I want you to go to this house on straight street. And I want you to go in there. And there's, a, there's Saul. And as soon as he heard the name Saul, he said, wait a minute, you mean the one that has been persecuting the church and killing your people and imprisoning them and terrorizing us? That's him. I want you to go lay hands on him. He'll receive his sight. And I'm going to tell him how much he's going to have to suffer for my name. The words, I am Jesus whom you persecute, I'm convinced, stabbed his heart like a sword. Because up until now, he thought he was doing God's work. He thought imprisoning the church was doing God's work, that he was taking a stand for his Judaism uh, and, and, and that which was attacking his Judaism. So he thought he was doing God's work. And in one fell swoop, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, blew it all away. And in a moment's time, all of the screams and cryings and agony and that he had caused, that he had brought upon the Christians came flashing through his mind. He realized he had been wrong. He'd been the terror of the church up to this point. He testified to a Jerusalem mob that he had been zealous toward God as you all are today. And then he confesses, I persecuted this way, capital W, to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness. And all the council of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren, and I went to Damascus to bring in chains, even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. He had chains with him. He was there to handcuff you and haul you off to jail and maybe to your martyrdom. That was Saul. The conversion of Saul to Christianity is one of the most profound and convincing conversions in all of church history. Church historians have never known quite what to do with the conversion of Saul, particularly the secular historians. And they've tried to come up with all these psychological Freudian excuses or reasons for which this man, Saul, became a Christian and became Paul. And they blame it on guilt and all these things. And he had this epiphany because he was so guilty about what he was doing to people that it, he finally snapped and decided to become one of them to try to get rid of the guilt that was on him. No, 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 no. He met the living Christ and had a revelation. He said, I have this gospel by revelation of Jesus Christ. Once a dedicated, ruthless enemy of the church, he became her greatest champion. Now he tells the Galatians that following his conversion, he had not turned back to Jerusalem to seek out Peter or John to ask them to explain to him the way of salvation, nor had he thought the gospel out for himself intellectually. 
when the blaze of light that paled the light of the noonday sun shone upon him and the voice of Christ spoke to him, he immediately called out, Lord, what will you have me do? Saved on the spot by grace alone. Now he again reminds them of who and what he had been. He's telling the Galatians this now. He says, for you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to absolutely destroy it. I wanted to ruin the church. Not only had he been a persecutor, but he has also excelled in the very Judaism that had originally turned him against Christianity. This Saul who became Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, was a naturally brilliant man, brilliant mind. When they took off his head and martyred him, in my humble opinion, they killed the finest man on earth, the brightest man on earth, the most spiritual man on earth, the wisest man on earth at that time. He says, I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation. I made straight A's. Nobody made the grades I made. Being more exceedingly zealous for the, the uh, traditions of my father's. Paul had been given a brilliant mind. He was an expert in the law of Moses. He was a trained rabbi who was determined to make a name for himself. Paul knew the Torah like the back of his hand. He was a Pharisee committed to keeping all the minutiae of the law. This included, just to get started, 613 commandments of the written laws. He knew them like the back of his hand. Yet on the Damascus road, all of his learning came crashing down shattered by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Wow, 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 wow. And imagine having to deal with all this and be blind at the same time. Being led by the hand with all these thoughts and emotions surging in your head. Can you imagine that? What it must have been like? Oh no, I've been wrong. All those people I persecuted, I was wrong. How was I taught wrong? I was taught by Gamaliel. How could I have been wrong? How could I have missed it? How could I have missed Jesus? What have I done? Next, Paul further gives the Galatians a thumbnail sketch of his spiritual history. Here we go. Verses 15 through 17. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, I didn't go see Peter. I didn't go see James. I didn't go see any of them. I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Now notice the power of his statement that he was separated from his mother's womb. I want you to think about that for a minute. Can you let your mind kind of go for a moment and consider this, that when you were in your mother's womb, God knew you'd be sitting here tonight and he knew you'd be redeemed and he knew the call he had on your life. He knew the attacks the enemy will have made on your life. And he knew the hour, the moment, the second you would be saved. He knew what you were going to look like, what you were going to think like, what your strengths and your weaknesses would be, your chromosomal and genetic makeup. He knew all of that. Tall, short, brown hair, blonde, blue eyes, brown. What your voice was going to sound like, the mistakes you were going to make. God's hand was on the life of Paul because God is God. He was on the life of Paul from his mother's womb. Jeremiah said the same thing. Yet at no time did God overrule Paul's will 
as a moral human being. And I want us to understand this. God persuades, but he doesn't push. He convicts, but he does not coerce. He does not arbitrarily impose his will on the human will. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, Pastor Jeff, if he doesn't do any of those things, then how does he plan something for me when I'm still in my mother's womb? Because he knows the end from the beginning. He knows who's going to come to him and who is not. I love this illustration. Picture a door right here. And on the the side you're looking at, here's the door, and you're looking at this side. It says, whosoever will, let him come. And it's the offer that every person has to receive Christ and be saved. Whosoever will, let him come. Well, I'm a whosoever. Are you a whosoever? Yes, you are. Then you say, wow, that sounds good to me. And I know that I need him and I know that I'm in sin. So Lord, forgive me. And you, you walk through the door and you shut it on the other side and you turn around. And on this side, it says, I knew you were coming all the time. I knew you were coming. He doesn't turn to Jesus and say, can you believe that? I didn't, I didn't know they were coming. No, God is never surprised with anything. He lives in the eternal moment. There is no time with God. So he saw you coming before you were either ever born. So his hand was on Saul, knowing Saul would be coming to him. Now, at the same time, he never loses control of human affairs. His omnipotence, his omnipresence, and his omniscience enable him to gather events into his hands with the greatest ease. Do you believe that God's in charge of our world? You say, some of you are thinking, well, you know, it doesn't look that way to me. It looks like the devil's in charge and wicked people are in charge. Imagine a huge cruise ship and we're all on the cruise ship. As a matter of fact, the whole world's on the cruise ship and it's got a destination. There's a captain of that ship and he's got his hand on the steering wheel and he directs the rudder underneath and he's the captain that's got the charts and the maps and he knows exactly where he's going and exactly where that ship is destined to go to. But while they're going there on the way, All kinds of things happen on that ship that he does not like or agree with and that do not fall under his will. Ship rules are broken. People are wronged. Bad things happen. Yet nevertheless, the captain always remains in charge and is inexorably taking the ship to its destination. This world is like that ship. And the captain is in charge. And you say, well, where is it going? Read Revelations. Revelations tells exactly where it's going, and the the captain's got his hand on the wheel. Are things happening on the ship that he doesn't like, that break his heart, that grieve him, that he wish weren't happening, that he can't stop because people have their own will? And yet, when they arrive at the destination, every single person who has done anything wrong on that ship is going to answer for it? But nothing stops the captain from getting the ship there. It's the love boat. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's going to get there. Do you believe that? And, and, and uh, God's in charge. And that's what we talk about when we say providence, that history is his story. It may not look like it, but he is inexorably steering and guiding the ship of this world into his will and into the destination of the new kingdom of God, new heavens and a new earth, 
where the old heavens and the old earth will pass away and all has become new. That's what we mean when we say omnipotence, all-powerful, omnipresence, everywhere at once, omniscience, all-knowing. Your faith journey, have you ever considered the inspiration of the Apostle Paul? You probably know him as a celebrated disciple, but do you strive to live a life in the way that he lived? Today we learn from Pastor Jeff that a life modeled on the perfect love of Jesus is a life that will serve to bless you. Stop listening to the lies that this world tells you. Be forever transformed by the saving grace of the cross. Leave your burdens forever behind you. Are you interested in partnering with us here at Hardwired? We'd love for you to come alongside us in supporting this ministry. All you have to do is text 817-484-4767 and enter the word GIVE to donate. That number once more is 817-484-4767 and text GIVE. Thanks so much for prayerfully considering this today and thanks for listening. As Christians in our world today, one of the most difficult things to do is stay committed to the cause for the kingdom. When the pressures start to add up and all we want to do is give up, it's easy to give in and join the world in its pain and suffering. Next time, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that you need to rise above the sin of our world and stay strong in spreading God's good news. The going will always be difficult, but He will never leave your side. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in for this edition of Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. You can listen to more messages from this and other books of the Bible by visiting hardwired.org. Join us next time to continue our study in the book of Galatians right here on Hardwired.